Talking Point with Kathy Mosasana. Weekdays, 9 a.m. till midday. I loved striding into court, wearing my gown, uh, advocate sex. Uh, I loved the cut and thrust, the parry, the, the tension, the judges asking you questions, cross-examining the witnesses, strategizing. It was uh, engrossing. It was interesting. And I hated it. We were mercenaries. And you could be employed by anybody just to argue for them. It didn't have that core sense of justice and right. So that was all kind of mixed in. Uh, the worst part, though, wasn't even that. That's intrinsic to legal profession anywhere in the world. The law was being used, the courts were being used to oppress people, not to protect people. The judges were white, the police who commanded things were white, the prosecution was white, the laws were made by whites, and the majority of people whom I defended uh, in, in, in criminal matters or for whom I appeared in civil matters were black. And they had no say in the law. And so it was injustice through law. And we had to follow the protocol and say, yes, my Lord, no, my Lord. Mm -hmm. uh, the gymnastics we had to do, even terms of address, when an African woman, elderly, grizzled hair, seen a lot in life, would be called Rosie. And, and a young white woman would be called uh, Mrs. Thunder or Mrs. Smith. And if you call the young white woman Rosie, she'd be offended and you feel you might be doing something damaging to your client. You're provoking, you're creating atmosphere. Mm -hmm. If you call the African woman Mrs. Shabalala, when the judge would just call her Rosie, it would be like a slap in his face, and your client might suffer. So you had to do an enormous amount of mental jumping around, acrobatics, not to go in to buy into this whole apartheid linguistics, which would be so demeaning, but not to be too confrontational uh, on the other hand. And you're hearing there the voice of Justice Albie Sachs in speaking in an interview uh, with the University of California at the time, reflecting on his time, uh, you know, uh, when he was still an advocate in the country's courts. He joins us now. Of course, a lot has happened uh, since then. Justice Sachs, good morning to you. Thank you so much for making time to speak with us today. You know, a lot has happened to me, uh, to the country and to the SABC since then. <laughs> some for the better, some for the worse, right? I think overwhelmingly for the better, but also uh, there's, there's a lot of not-so-good stuff around as well. Yeah, sure. <laughs> I'm looking forward to having this conversation with you over the next hour. And, you know, you've recently been recognized, Justice Sachs, for your contribution, it's a Lifetime Achievement Award in the pursuit of justice. And you began your legal, your, your, your activism rather, at the age of about 17. Um, and at the time you were a law student. When you look back at what pushed you into law, into activism, how would you describe the journey that it has, it has taken you on throughout your life? You know, the journey, if I can put it that way, this way, Kathy, was, was almost prenatal. Uh, I, I was born into a very activist family. Uh, my dad, Sadi Sachs, was the general secretary of the Garment Workers Union. Very active, very militant union. Uh, people like uh, Johannes Kiepers was there, Lennon and Goy was there, Helen Joseph was in the union. Uh, and, and my mom and dad split. 
that my mom carried on. She moved from Joburg to Cape Town, and she'd say to me and my little brother, tidy up, tidy up, Uncle Moses is coming. And we'd have to pack away our toys because Uncle Moses was coming. Uncle Moses wasn't Moses Cahoon or Moses Cantor, was Moses Kutani. My uh, mom was the typist for Moses Kutani, the General Secretary of the Communist Party of South Africa. So, so I grew up in, in a very, very modest home. Uh, we were living by the sea, uh, and, and, and um, she had enormous admiration for Uncle Moses, a uh, white woman working for, very proud to be working for, as a typist for a black man uh, with that immense admiration. And that became the normal world for me. And then the world outside seemed to be absurd, that people weren't treated as human beings with dignity. Uh, and I've meandered my own way. I didn't want my parents to assume I'd automatically follow in their footsteps. But suddenly in my second year at the University of Cape Town, uh, I got into the struggle uh, like boots and all. And, and, and we had a meeting. Uh, it's on the 6th of April. 1952, 300 years since Jan van Riebeek landed in Cape Town. And the whites are celebrating the planes flying overhead and armored cars through the street. And maybe 200 of us in the Salt River Town Hall and people are singing the songs, singing the songs, and they're calling for volunteers for the defiance of unjust rules campaign. And I say, I want to volunteer. And my friend Wolfie says, you can't. And I say, why? He says, because you're white. I said, but we're fighting racism. He says, it's a black struggle led by black people, but I'll report to the leadership. And six months later, 17-year-old student, uh, second-year law student, I'd just finished my December exams. I'm leading a small group of whites to sit on seats in the general post office in Cape Town, marked non-whites only. You know, some people remember their first kiss. I remember the first time I went to jail, and that was the first time I went to jail. Wow. It, it, it's so important for me that you distinguish between the environment in which you grew up, but also the point that you as an individual have to make the personal choice around what it is that you're going to pursue. Because the, the, the consequence of that is that throughout your life, there's so much you have to sacrifice as a result of, of the decision you have taken, as a result of the position you have taken to fight against racism. You know, Kathy, I, I would put it differently. Mm. I never saw it as a sacrifice. Uh, it, it was liberating for me. It wasn't like I'm a lonely person making a moral decision to do something. I became part of a movement, a wonderful movement. I met people. I learned to move in the streets. I learned to sing in public. Uh, we had the excitement and joy of imagining a future free South Africa. It was exhilarating. Uh, and, and, and meeting wonderful young people turned on enthusiastic when I saw the, the fallists a couple of years back in, in UCT, you know, I said to them, you're like me. I see young L.B. Saxers with, with that energy and vitality, uh, and, and you connect up with struggles of people throughout the world, and you have a place in human history. So far from that being a sacrifice, it, it, truly it, it was a, a joy and a, a journey of discovery. The real sacrifice would have been if I had just gone on 
to become a successful white lawyer, making money, getting a bigger car, that would have been a sacrifice. I would have sacrificed my dignity. I would have sacrificed my dreams, my hopes. I've had an extraordinary life. You know, maybe I'm anticipating a little bit what you're going to say. I was blown up. I was in jail. I was in exile. I was stateless. I had torture by sleep deprivation for uh, an excruciating period. But I don't see that as sacrifice. I volunteered for a struggle and together with thousands and millions of others, many of whom were punished in all sorts of ways. I can't complain about the retaliation from the state. I knew it was always there. I felt great that I survived, that I got through. Uh, and, and I feel great that basically we brought down apartheid. Uh, we laid at least the foundations of a democratic and decent society. We put themes like non-racism, non-sexism, a transformation on the agenda. So, so I don't see my life as being one of, of sacrifice, of giving up. I see my life as one of, of endeavor, uh, of, of comradeship, of solidarity, uh, and, of, and of joy. We, we, we sang with joy. We expressed ourselves with joy. Uh, that, that's the way I, I would sum it mm. up. Has this always been your view? Yes, I've had down moments in my life and, and very, very hard moments when I collapsed on the floor in, in interrogation. They poured water on me uh, and I felt myself breaking. That was awful. Uh, I've had physical pain because of the bomb and, 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 and the hurt. But uh, never, never doubts about core beliefs that we had uh, about, about humanity. Uh, people say, Albie, you're the eternal optimist, and I, I don't regard that as, 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 as a condemnation at all. Uh, when I woke up from the bomb and I discovered I'd only lost an arm, I felt joyous I've only lost an arm. But the context there was you waiting, will they come for me, will they come today, will I be brave, will I get through? And they tried to kill me and I'd survived, I'd only lost an arm. And maybe it's a, it's a kind of inner optimism and, and forward-looking approach that I've got. Maybe even it's partly genetic. I don't know. Uh, whatever it is, uh, it, it's seen me through very, very dark days. Uh, and, and I still feel that. And I still feel that for me and, and for my country, our country, South Africa. You, of course, spent quite uh, a while in exile and you, you were doing different work to support the, the initiatives um, that were a, against the apartheid state in South Africa. But what led you to flee the country in the first place? Well, I, I was practicing as an advocate uh, at the bar in Cape Town and um, defending people, using what kind of space we could find in the law to save people being sentenced to death, to get shorter sentences, to expose torture and so on, uh, and very proud to be doing that work. But the state was closing in, and then I'm thrown into jail without trial, without charge, 168-day solitary confinement. And, and you never, actually never get over solitary confinement. There's a certain sadness and loneliness that you carry with you, I think, for the rest of your days. But I, I got through all that, and then I'm um, locked up the second time, and, and Rhodes, uh 
Swanapul is in charge of the interrogation and banging and shouting for, for 10 minutes and then silence for 20 and then another group comes in. They go through the afternoon and the night and the next day and you, uh, that's, that's, that's when I collapsed. So my morale's not getting stronger. Our leaders are in jail. Uh, people are being uh, tortured to death. A very, very hard time in, in, in the early 60s. And I'm about to be thrown out of practice as, as, as an advocate on political grounds. And uh, eventually I decided I'm going to leave. It, it was a hard, painful decision. But I, I was too, too weak to carry on with the resistance uh, in the underground. Our movement was, was smashed. Uh, and I decided, okay, I'm going to get out and I'm going to do what I can uh, internationally. And, and sad that I felt about leaving, uh, the minute I got to the UK first, and then I went off afterwards to Mozambique at the time of the change there, I said, okay, here I am. Let's look forward. Let, let's now do what we can and learn what I can to bring back home with me. And we, we're going to have a new legal system. Uh, we're going to get democracy. Uh, what can I bring back with me that would be useful uh, for, for, for our nation? So I immersed myself first in England and then 11 years in Mozambique. I learned Portuguese. I got very involved with what was called the Mozambique Revolution. I went up with it. I came down with it. I was blown up in Mozambique. They saved my life in Mozambique. I owe so much uh, to that country. Uh, but all the time, learning, learning, experiencing. Uh, and, and I might say, Kathy, that uh, 11 years in England, I read a lot, uh, did a PhD, I attended seminars, I picked up vast amounts of information, but my real deep experiences were in Mozambique, uh, a country close to ours with the problems close to ours, uh, the, the solutions that, that worked, the solutions that, that didn't work, uh, the the, the um, these were deep existential experiences. My, my if you like, conversion to political pluralism uh, came in Mozambique, the need not to have just one party leading society, however brilliant uh, Samora Michelle was, uh, however fine Frelimo was, you have to have space for opposition. I, I learned that in the course of participating in, in the transformation uh, in, in, in Mozambique. It was very, very deep, very, very, very profound for me. Uh, and I learned a lot about culture. They had more artists, painters, sculptors uh, in, in Mozambique earning a living at the height of their civil war than you had in South Africa, apartheid South Africa. Uh, art just meant so much, and music and dance and, and uh, painting murals. Uh, when we came to create the new constitutional court building uh, on the site of the Old Fort Prison, uh, in, in, in Johannesburg, and I was put in charge with uh, Justice Yvonne Mohoro of, of DACOR. Immediately, I remembered our Mozambique experiences, every public building filled with art by, by local artists to give an ambiance, a personality, a feel to what otherwise would be a cold, sterile building. So, so these were experiences I brought back uh, when we came back to South Africa, now with the project of... of, of creating a, a new democracy where everybody could feel 
part of the nation, everybody mattered, everybody could participate. We're not there yet by any means, but we've made huge breakthroughs. Justice Sachs, that's a, that's an interesting bit of information. I didn't know that you're in charge of the DECO at the Constitutional Court. I've always found it interesting, you know, that you have that um, almost art precinct uh, just outside uh, the court, and you have several artists coming there to showcase their work, but I never knew the history of it. Yes, you know, it, it, and my colleagues went along, and Yvonne Mahora was totally in support of that idea. Instead of a court building being cold and sterile and, 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 and frightening and forbidding, you know, if I go into a magistrate's court, and I'm a former constitutional court judge, I feel guilty. There's something about court buildings that make you feel, we know what you've done, we're on to you. Uh, and, and when we had a jury for the competition for the best design for that court building on the site of the old Fort prison, deliberately turning negativity into positivity. Uh, Tenjim Tensu, who was then head of the, uh, the gender commission for gender equality said, you know, what we want is a building that her mother would want to enter her mother, a washerwoman who took in, clothing from whites to save and save and save and send a daughter to, to school and university and so on. She said her mother is terrified of modern buildings. Uh, she wants to go around the back. If she comes inside, she wants to ask somebody to take her to see somebody in a certain number. She said, I want a building that's smiling to my mother, that's saying, welcome, mama. Uh, this is your building for your justice, for your constitution. And she pointed to the building that had the theme of justice under a tree, mm. the traditional African way of resolving disputes. And then under a tree, there's foliage, there's life, there's vitality, there's light. Uh, and we felt the artwork representing the fundamental rights that everybody has uh, drawn by artists from all the different backgrounds, expressing all the different emotions of our people, uh, would be a good setting for justice. Justice isn't just rules, uh, commands, uh, obedience. Uh, justice is, is humanity, it's fairness, it's a sense of right, it, it, it's Ubuntu in action. Uh, these were all the themes that we wanted to represent uh, in, in the court building. Justice Sachs, I feel like that should be on a plaque somewhere outside the Constitutional Court. Because, <laughs> <laughs> because you know, one will look at um, even the layout of the court with a lot more reflection and appreciation uh, for the thinking that, that, has gone, um, that has gone into it. Thank you so much for, for sharing that with us this morning. We're in conversation with Justice Albie Sachs. He'll be uh, joining us for the rest of the hour. A little later on, I'll also get a chance to take your calls for him um, on our studio line. For now, it's time for your latest news. Hashtag SFM Talking Point. We continue our conversation this morning. We're talking to Justice Albie Sachs about his career and also I think about just where we are as a country, some of the issues uh, that we are currently grappling with. Of course, he was recently honoured with a Lifetime Achievement Award in the pursuit of justice. And, you know, Justice Sachs, that's one of... um, the big issues that we seem to be contending with as a society, the notion of justice, what justice means, and whether 
justice is something that the majority of people are able to access. What have you made of the debates, in particular those that center the role of our Constitution and whether or not this is the document that we need? Justice Albie Sachs.